0: Hi, I'm Daisy. Hi, I'm Liv.
1: And hi, I'm also Daisy.
0: And welcome to our podcast where we will be discussing how slavery has shaped Hampshire as we see it today.
1: Thanks for introducing us, Daisy. Um, So we're a group of second year history students from the University of Southampton. And we've decided to explore aspects of our local history as part of um, our group project this year. So I think one thing that's really important to note is that we are a group of white people. And so we want to acknowledge the privilege that we have and we want to avoid any specific generalizations about how people of colour experience this. And instead, we want to aim to focus on the history and legacy of the business of slavery and its links to Hampshire.
2: Yeah, so when we began researching for this podcast, um, it was actually really weird because we were shocked to discover that slavery, like literally, doesn't feature at all in the A level history syllabus, um, especially in connection to Britain specifically, and even more specific, like areas of Hampshire, um, Britain even. So like we're looking at Hampshire. Definitely.
1: And we will have to admit that when we started this project off, we were very skeptical about how much we'd actually be able to find and research. And so like, as we all know, slavery has been a huge part of our history. Um, But in in Hampshire, there's not much known. So over, but however, over the past few months, we have realized that barely any region of Britain has escaped the impacts of the slave trade. And I think it's really important that we do talk about it today.
2: Yeah. So obviously, as we all go to university in Hampshire, um, these discoveries have been particularly eye-opening, and we hope that by making this podcast, we can show just how much of an influence slavery has had on this county, um, and obviously, as Britain as on Britain as a whole. And yeah, as well as sort of being
0: super relevant to anyone that does live in Hampshire and sort of just wants to know more, um, we think that this podcast will be particularly relevant to anyone that's studying the um, Edexcel A-Level module, Protestant Agitation and Parliamentary Reform in Britain 1780-1982, to or any sort of similar module concerning the British Empire. Um, But yeah, this is definitely relevant to anyone completing an EPQ regarding the business of slavery or just if you're interested in it. I
1: know a lot of you may who may be
0: listening may
1: not actually study these modules and so we're, we're going to start off by giving some background information on slave trade in general as well as Hampshire's involvement in it and so this is something we assume not many people know about.
2: Um, yeah, so obviously slavery has long been an integral part of Britain's history and has become a particularly relevant topic within the past year related to Black Lives Matter and the focus on cities around the UK such as Bristol. Uh, many of you will probably remember the um, Colston statue in Bristol last June um, in the protests.
1: Yeah Liv, like you just mentioned, um, I was actually able to attend that protest um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the removal of the Colston statue and it was such an eye-opening event and it really felt like I I was part of history Um, yeah yeah
2: I really wish I'd been able to go but um, I am actually from Hampshire so I couldn't like travel there Um, but I wish I had been able to
0: yeah i think it was really interesting i i did my epq back when i did my epq on um edward colston so i'm from bristol so i looked at the changes of the name of the colston hall which is like a big concert hall in bristol that sort of changed its name from that to remove itself from the links and yeah i thought it was really interesting just sort of yeah it was it
1: was such a powerful move
0: and it really was the practice of enslaving others has existed for all of time Although originally it was not used as a means of racial discrimination, but um, the Atlantic slave trade that we're most familiar with was actually founded partially upon racial prejudice and it sort of originated in the mid 16th century. Yeah, so
2: in 1562, John Hawkins embarked on an expedition that marked the beginning of Britain's three century long slave trade. And if you study the Tudor period in any depth, you probably will have learned about, a little bit about John Hawkins. So yeah, the slave trade, um...
1: Slave trading actually quickly came to be by British men as a potential source source of human profits. As a result, the Royal African Company was established in six, 16- monopoly of English trade along the west coast of Africa. Um, so, from the seventeenth to the nineteenth centuries, Britain emerged as the most dominant slave trading nation. I think what I should mention here actually is. This might seem like a positive thing about we're mentioning words like huge profits and we were most prominent and things like that, but I think it's really important to note that this isn't positive at all. This this was at the cost of people's lives, um, yeah. and I think it's really important that we mention that and acknowledge that. Um, to more about slave trading, um, Britain was also one of the key markets for slave produce goods including both sugar and cotton and the properties provided for further expeditions to support plantation labour so like as we've just as i've just mentioned that these profits went to support further slave trade and it was just an ongoing circle
0: yeah it definitely was like a vicious cycle um and in hampshire alone the ports were actually rarely used for slave trading expeditions although cows in the isle of wight was used for shipments of rights. Um, but numerous links have been discovered with slavery, including several country estates that some of you listening might have actually visited at some point.
2: Yeah, and it's definitely shocking to think that, despite its limited direct involvement in the slave trade, slavery still had a lasting influence upon Hampshire. And I think that's one of the things that people forget, is that like, just because your city that you've grown up in doesn't have direct links, from what you can see, it, it does.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think here it's almost to mention that Bristol is seen as one of the most predominant mm. areas of slave trade because of all the street names we were named after slave owners. And like obviously we mentioned the Colston statue and heavy involvement. But I think, like Liv said, I, I think that doesn't excuse the cities around Britain because at the end of the day, everyone had involvement in it
2: yeah it's very easy for white people to sort of sit there and think oh like it's fine where i live." that that wasn't a thing but yeah. you don't know someone that you generations before you might a family member they might have been involved in it yeah definitely. Um, yeah
1: i definitely think that's that's so right there and i think when we say about this throughout i think it's just it's, we just need to emphasize the fact that even though we talk about it in past tense it's still a problem today and there's still inequalities between people of colour and white people and that is faced and I think it's really important that we continue to acknowledge that and not forget the struggles are still faced.
2: Yeah and slavery definitely still exists in some form but that's a conversation (laughs) for another time I think.
0: definitely like if we just look at how much we found in hampshire and we've only been doing this module for a few months we've only been researching for a few months but yeah just imagine the sort of volumes of history that other cities around the uk hold as well
1: definitely 100 percent. and so before we move on i just want to emphasize again that we mustn't shy away from this country's involvement in the slave trade we think it's really important that we continue to educate ourselves about british colonial past and recognize that for several centuries this country profited from the suffering of other people um, yeah and I just think we shouldn't forget about this at all. Well. and I think sometimes um, as a white person and as other white people we forget things that we don't want to acknowledge and we feel find awkward and I think the reason why we chose to make this podcast is to kind of remove that stigma and yeah. to have this discussion because I think it's so important and especially by the reason why we're doing Hampshire specifically is because that's where we're, we're living at the moment And I think it's really important that we acknowledge what's happening and what has happened in the past.
0: Definitely,
1: yeah. Hi guys, welcome back. So now we're going to go on to about how was Hampshire involved in the slave trade?
0: So Hampshire doesn't have a reputation for slavery compared to other ports like Bristol and Liverpool, which were sort of the main locations from which enslaved Africans were transported between West Africa and the West Indies.
2: Um, but despite this eight slave ships still departed from Portsmouth Harbour between 1699 and 1711 and during the 18th century Southampton also had its own sugar house. So similar to what Daisy and Liv said,
1: um, Hampshire was home to several prominent slave owners such as Thomas Coombs, Brian Edwards and John Morant who owned plantations in the West Indies.
2: These individuals owned hundreds of slaves in the West Indies but they did not live there so they were known as um, what we call absentee plantation owners but obviously they were still plantation owners they just didn't live on the plantation but they were just as bad uh, there were female
0: absentee slave owners too um there's this is definitely another overlooked area of history um anna eliza ellitson was an absentee plantation owner who well later in her life lived in, in hampshire and um, she had a sugar plantation in jamaica
1: Yeah I think you're right Daisy this is definitely overlooked I think when it comes to women in slavery. um, Just in general as well. Yeah definitely I think it is a case of being overlooked and I think it's very important that we do mention that here.
0: Definitely like she inherited it from her late husband um, Roger Hope Ellison but was like very active in running it and sent a lot of letters to the overseers in Jamaica advising it's running so I think this sort of combats the stereotype that women were quite sort of complacent in it and sort of didn't necessarily get as involved and was sort of more seen as the plantation owner's wife rather than actually being involved sort of in slavery definitely
2: yeah although like something quite important to note as well is that hampshire women uh played a role in abolition too Mm -hmm. um so there was a letter written by a man in alton to his wife saying that there was a successful female anti-slavery group there um so there was obviously at least one in hampshire um which is really important to know as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. It is not difficult to rush to the conclusion that slavery
1: didn't exist in Britain, um, as there wasn't a significant black presence in the country until the 20th century. But just because it we rush to this conclusion doesn't mean we should.
0: And that's it. I think very few people in Britain are aware of the extent of, Brit- of the British involvement in slavery, um, but there are actually like lots of reminders around us of the profits derived from human suffering.
2: Definitely. Uh, next we're going to talk about how Hampshire was involved in the abolition of the business of slavery and how significant um, Hampshire's involvement was.
0: Yeah, so Hampshire actually contributed quite significantly to the abolitionist movement within Britain. Um, they wanted to abolish slave slave trade, slavery and the apprenticeship system uh, throughout Britain, Africa and the Americas.
2: Um, so yeah, up until the second half of the 1700s Business of slavery was consistently viewed throughout Britain as a permanent, innate aspect of history, which would continue unchallenged for decades to come. Yeah, so
1: what we need to know here is the first significant challenge to this deep-rooted belief emerged in 1783, so when a group of Quakers submitted the first public petition calling for the abolition of the slave trade um, to the British Parliament.
0: Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because this petition didn't push for the end of slavery in its entirety it just sort of wanted to end the transatlantic slave trade.
1: Yeah, that's really, that is completely true. So although the petition was ultimately unsuccessful and was swiftly dismissed by the legislature, clearly at the time, there was still a lot of pro-slavery feeling in Britain, especially as it was so profitable.
2: But even so, despite such failure, these religious anti-slave trade advocates persisted with their cause. Um, So they formed a Quaker Abolitionist Committee in 1784, um they were able to get one step further in their mission by securing a meeting with william pitt who was the prime minister at the time um but unfortunately our appeal for the under slave trade was rejected again so following on from this defeat the abolitionist calls
1: entered a state of inactivity with only a small number of anti-slave trade activists pers- pers- persevering with their campaigns
0: but yeah this ended in may 19 sorry may 1787 when the Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade or the London Committee was formed?
2: Um, Yeah, so this committee was pretty important because it attracted extensive support from Baptist and Methodist groups in particular. Um, And as well as this, one abolitionist petition submitted by the committee was signed by 10,600 residents from Manchester, um, which is another key source of support. And for the first time, those in power were exposed to the fact that the anti-slave trade campaign was supported by a significant proportion of the general population and not just um, like religious advocates.
0: But yeah more importantly than this the Manchester petition was reprinted within every major newspaper throughout Britain alongside an active appeal for the different areas of England to carry out similar abolitionist actions. Um, So as a result of this leading slavery and abolitionist historian Seymour Drescher has asserted that the widespread distribution of this petition resulted in the national mobilisation campaign. In favour of the abolition of slave trade.
1: Yeah, so Seymour definitely wasn't wrong. The rising tide of the abolitionist movement finally succeeded in raising their demands to the national agenda by May 1788 when a debate was held on the subject in the House of Commons. Such abolitionist discourse would subsequently continue for the next 19 years.
2: Um, and over the next two decades following that, Hampshire's abolitionist movement continued to press for the end of the slave trade um, so the Hampshire Chronicle published an article on the 11th of February in 1788 praising the residents of Hampton for unanimously subscribing a petition to Parliament to forward the abolition of the slave trade.
0: So yeah it's quite clear that there was a very strong anti-slavery feeling in Hampshire and this anti-slave trade support was seen again within Hampshire following the passage of an act for the abolition of the slave trade which outlawed this practice on the 25th of March 1807 as the previously mentioned Southampton petition, alongside many other actions had sort of planned and hoped to do. Um
2: yeah, and um, following the instructions of Certi Sason, um a resident of Portsea known as J H submitted a poem on the abolition of the slave trade to the Hampshire Telegraph on Monday, the twenty second of June, eighteen oh seven. Um within this creative work, the author emphasises his sympathy for slaves who have been forcibly and brutally engaged in the slave trade and he identified them as poor victims. Um, And J.H. also goes on to praise William Wilberforce, who is a key figure within the abolitionist movement, by calling him a sympathetic friend of humankind.
0: But yeah, despite all of this, abolitionist enthusiasm swiftly died down following the termination of the slave trade throughout the British Empire in 1807. Um, The academic Joel Quirk actually argued that this remained
2: inactive until the early 1820s. Um, But obviously slavery was still very thoroughly entrenched in many British colonies at this point. Um, So abolitionists relaunched their movement, this time battling for abolition of slavery as a whole and not just the slave trade, because they are two different things. This also reinvigorated anti-slavery campaign was founded upon the belief that slavery was morally wrong and economically detrimental to British interests. In 1823, an anti-slavery society was established in London to leave the movement. And it's really interesting that um, people believed that slavery was economically detrimental to British interests, because obviously, the whole point of it at the time was for economic interest. So it's good that people recognise that it wasn't that necessary.
1: Definitely. Definitely. So despite initially advocating for gradual reform, from 1825 onwards, a growing number of British people actually began campaigning for the immediate emancipation of enslaved people in Britain, african America. I think what I should note here, and I think with what Liv said as well, we need, to make, we need to mention that these people advocating for this are not the ones that are profiting directly from it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, these, are the, these are the people, the rich. These are white, rich men.
0: But yeah, once again, mm. Hampshire was determined to undertake an active role within this ever-growing abolitionist campaign.
1: So between March 1826 and April 1833, it was reported within three Hampshire newspapers that petitions had been received from Ferrum, Fallsley, Portsea, Romsey, Wright, of Hampton, South Stoneham and Winchester, calling for the end of slavery.
2: Um, it's really interesting that those are all quite small. If you know Hampshire, those are all quite small towns apart mm. from Southampton. Yeah. Um, So obviously it spread into quite small areas, which does show the wide awareness of slavery. Um, But as well as this, Hampshire also hosted a number of anti-slavery lectures around this time.
1: Yeah, so one of the actual most notable examples of such educational meetings within this county was seen within the lectures held in Portsea on the 29th of September, 1832. So these abolitionist presentations given by Reverend E. Dudley and Reverend W. Nibb Attracted a high level of attendance. I think what we should also mention here is obviously these are reverent, so they are religious individuals.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so while the anti-slavery teachings at these events subsequently sparked the formation of anti-slavery societies within the area.
0: And yeah, this high level of attendance, like to the lectures, as well as the like the number of petitions, anti-slavery petitions, which were submitted from Hampshire, just shows how actively the county actually participated in the nationwide anti-slavery campaign yeah,
1: yeah definitely um, but I think again though we speak positively about it we need to come back to the, the conversation of actually this is happening far too late mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway going on from what Daisy said a further spell of such abolitionist advocation within this county was seen following the passage of the Slavery Abolition Act on the 28th of August 1833 which made the purchase or ownership of slaves illegal in the British colonies, as came forth throughout Hampshire and West Britain. So though this is such a step forward from what we've seen previously, I think, again, it's important to note that though it's now illegal for the ownership of slaves, that doesn't mean that's the end of profits from the slave trade. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, And also upon the announcement of the passage of the Slavery Abolition Act in 1834, the Hampshire Telegraph reported that Southampton rang their church bells throughout the day in celebration of the abolition of slavery.
0: Yeah, um, and although this legislation didn't bring about an immediate end to slavery, um, instead all recently freed slaves were swiftly redesignated as apprentices and forced to continue to work for their masters in return for inadequate shelter provisions and sometimes wages, so I think it's definitely important that we don't sort of over glamorise the success that they had. It was definitely too late as daisy said but
2: yeah it also
0: didn't sort of it wasn't all sunshine and roses slavery was over it was just sort of
2: almost in a different form definitely yeah so then that's when the british public mobilized to end slavery once and for all and not just the slave trade
0: but yeah as before hampshire residents pushed for the end of the apprenticeship system too so they submitted petitions to the government um, so one example of a petition was signed by 1,300 Southampton residents, um, and it was submitted to the House of Peers on the 23rd of November 1837.
2: Um, and eventually, the apprenticeship system was fully formally abolished out the British colonies in 1838, and those who had been previously enslaved were granted their long overdue freedom. Um, but even so, 1838 is really not that long ago. Mm. Um, when you think about it, it's just really not.
1: Definitely. And like we've already mentioned before, though it was abolished in 1838, we still have traces of such systems With in Bristol, the names of streets and everything like that. Yeah. So it's still so prominent today. So we like, we like to think that the conversation is over. And I think, like I've said again and again, this is why we're making this podcast, to make it clear to everyone that this conversation isn't over. Yeah. And we need to keep acknowledging things that are happening before and today. Hi everyone, welcome back. So this leads us on to the in Hampshire. As it is important that we acknowledge that some of what is still around us, things that we like to eat, places we like to visit, are very often living legacies of the slave trade.
2: Yeah, so both Africa and the Americas are home to symbols and legacies of the slave trade. Um, so in Africa, they have forts, for example, Cape Coast Castle in Ghana. Um, slaves were imprisoned there before being transported across the so-called Middle Passage. Um, but now they just mainly serve a commemorative purpose.
1: Yeah, so um, contrastingly, numerous American churches, government buildings and other landmarks were all constructed using slave labour but bear no means of acknowledging this legacy. So there's lots of buildings that are in America and we have, there's no acknowledgement at any point of these landmarks being built by slave slaves. Um, so somebody some can turn hotels and market their history.
2: Um, Yeah, and in the Americas, especially the Caribbean, buildings that were used to produce items or control slaves actually still exist and some are still used to produce more items.
0: Yeah, so in Britain itself, physical legacies of the slave trade have only sort of recently come into sort of public attention, sort of become discussed.
1: I think like Daisy said there, it's like, um, again, going back to Bristol uh, with Mm edward colston and the local one of the local schools that were actually was actually named after him and i think that's only really coming to people's attention in the last couple of years yeah
0: when i did did my epq about it that would have been sort of four years ago that was just they were changing the colston halls name so that's still quite recent within the sort of last five years
1: yeah definitely and i think what we should note here also is when when i say coming to people's attention. By that, I mean in the media and mm-hmm. to white people's attention.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, in 2004, the anniversary of 1804 Haitian independence, and secondly, that of the abolition of the British slave during 2007, £20 million became available through the Heritage Lottery Fund to conduct UK commemorations. Um, so again, that's only within the past 15 years.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's also important to note that Haiti was actually the first country to be governed by former slaves, which is obviously really significant.
2: Yeah, and we were really surprised to discover that commemorations of the slave trade have only come to light properly in the 21st century, and particularly in the past few years, like we just discussed.
1: This kind of shows that although we have definitely come a long way in acknowledging this country's colonial past, there is still much we must learn to fully understand quite how large slave trade was and to acknowledge our country's role in it. I think with this, I think what we should note here is actually when we're taught things, we are kind of taught it in a whitewashed way. So when we talk about um, colonisation, it's almost we speak in it as a positive way, but actually maybe we should kind of change the way we discuss that.
0: Just last year in September 2020 the National Trust published a report revealing that 93 of its houses including Hinton Ampner in Hampshire were historically connected to colonialism and slavery. Similarly seven years prior to this English Heritage produced a publication entitled Slavery and the British Country House which emphasised the connections between such brutal discrimination discriminatory practices within Africa and the Americas and its connections to many other countryside properties within the UK such as Northington Grange which is near well is in Hampshire. Um,
2: Yeah and this can be seen as part of a broader movement taking place across Britain which seeks to educate the public about the true extent of Britain's imperial connections.
1: So I think here we just we really like to urge anyone listening to take a moment to look at this report like us. I'm sure you'd be surprised at just how many properties are connected to slavery, especially ones you might not have considered before. And I know as a kid, my parents used to take me to National Trust places like every weekend. And at no point was it ever in the back of my mind or in my parents back of their mind that where the history of these properties. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Additionally, the way Britain has chosen to remember slavery has only recently come to light. The implications revealed with the like Edward Colston Statue in Bristol and some of the things we discussed earlier have brought about really significant debate over the recognition and treatment of black lives in
2: Britain.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, and for Hampshire in particular, very little has been done to commemorate the importance and significance that slavery had on the county.
1: So memories just focus on slave owners, slave traders, as their memories pass down through their generations creating damage, damaged one-sided history, focus on the chosen memories of people involved for slavery. And I think this where it comes to like a whitewashed effect Mm -hmm. where important people like MPs and things will have a way of swaying what is shown and what is presented. And I think this is where we forget, actually there is the other side to it and that voice needs to be heard.
2: Yeah, and the memories of the slaves themselves as well have been unable to surface to the same extent due due to the white wealthy members of high society in the 19th century, Um, and even today their stories are still really limited.
0: And yeah, as we discovered, Britain as a nation has chosen to remember these legacies without significant recognition of the lives of the slaves, and we hope that this insightful podcast has uncovered a wider history of those who are affected by the slave trade and the issues, that places like Hampshire were more significant than people perceived, but I think it, it's a difficult thing because slave legacies don't always sort of be preserved in the same way yeah that sort of like the mps and slave owners and stuff necessarily would and they probably didn't have the same access to be able to write one yeah like exactly. lots lot of them didn't have the same education there's this one woman called mary prince who she fled her owners and um she actually dictated her um her life and the people she ran away with were um, abolitionists and they wrote it all down for her so her sort of story lives on but if it weren't for those abolitionists it might not hi
1: everyone welcome back so um now we're going to take a little bit of a different um, approach to the podcast and we're going to do some source analysis workshop So I'm going to pass you over to Daisy to kind of start it off.
0: Yeah, so as Daisy said, we thought we'd do a little sort of primary source analysis workshop thing, um, which would probably be really useful to some of you for what to expect on a sort of history course at university, or if your A-level contains an element of source analysis like for an exam or coursework.
2: Yeah, so we have linked the source in the description box if you want to look at it in any more detail. um, we'll just pick out a few examples of context content and um, wider context to get you thinking But obviously there's loads that you could discuss if this was an assessment we're just gonna choose a few things just because we don't have loads of time
1: so what i'm gonna do now is i'm just gonna uh, read the primary source so it's from reverend thomas atkins and it reads it would be extremely easy to excite your sympathetic feelings by drawing the horrors of slavery i will however Content myself of asserting that he who is not an enemy to slavery is him himself a slave. He who invested with all the blessings with which liberty can impart is yet doubtful whether the principle is to be prized by himself or conferred upon others is a being whose mental bondage is only less than that of he who toils in chains. So that's Reverend Thomas Atkins, April 6th, 1830.
0: So Thomas Atkins was one of the key abolitionists within Southampton alongside Edward Cork and Joseph Clark. He organized regular meetings, which aimed to publicize the wider abolitionist campaign.
2: Um, Atkins spoke actively against it at a meeting in Southampton in 1824, um, which was considering petitioning parliament to grant abolition.
1: So in terms of the context of the source, It was written in 1830, which is after the abolition of the slave trade, which was in 1807 and only three years before Britain's Slavery Abolition Act, which was passed in 1833. So four years before it came into effect. Clearly, Atkins is pushing for the end of slavery in this um, excerpt by condemning anti abolitionists as mentally enslaved and thus in a state worse than the slaves themselves.
2: Um, Adkins takes quite an interesting approach within the content of this source. Mm. Um, He takes a different position, instead of telling the stories of horror to shock people, he compares them to slaves, saying that he who is not an enemy to slavery is himself a slave. Um, So by reducing those in favour of slavery to a state of mental bondage, Adkins seeks to prove that slavery is completely unproductive and pointless, as it disadvantages both master and slave which is probably a very good way of persuading people at this time.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, The idea of comparing slaves to their masters could link to the wider abolitionist movement too. So, am I not a man and a brother was a slogan for the National British Abolitionist Campaign. Um, And they argued against slavery using moral arguments. Um, So notable abolitionists like Wilberforce argued against slavery by spreading the message that the enslaved individuals were humans should be treated
1: as such so yeah as we've mentioned this is just a very quick look at a few things that a few of the things that you could discuss in relation to the source we hope it was helpful um if you're interested in exploring this discussion to a great extent we have provided a list of further resources and books along with the transcript of the source that may be interested of you um we're hoping to put that in the little uh description box under the podcast so if you're using any streaming service yeah
2: it should be fine yeah yeah um so we hope that you discovered more about not only broad issues of slavery but also those much closer to home in hampshire so we just want to
0: thank you all for listening to our podcast we really hope that it's shed some light on how slavery influenced hampshire and britain as a whole and yeah as we said we've included a short list of possible articles that you might want to read if you're interested in learning more about the subject or even if you're possibly doing it for an epq topic or for your course
1: So we also hope this podcast has given you a bit of insight in what it's like studying history at university. Thanks very much.
2: Thank you for listening. Thank you.